everybody. This is the Play-By-Play Podcast with Wayne Larrabee, powered by Chevrolet. Proud to be the official vehicle of the Green Bay Packers. Visit WisconsinDriveChevy.com today to find a dealer near you. On this episode of the Play-By-Play, our series on the voices of the NFL, the legendary play-by-play broadcasters that make local NFL radio a must-listen for the fans in their markets. And we begin this episode with, as we normally do on Tuesdays during the regular season, our latest power poll. Now, let's be honest about a couple of things here. There are barely two good teams in the AFC, New England and Pittsburgh. Now, don't try selling me Jacksonville. (laughs) That team's quarterbacked by Blake Bortles. No matter how good the defense and special teams might be, no team quarterbacked by Blake Bortles can be that good. The New England Patriots and Pittsburgh Steelers are legit good. They'll meet in the AFC title game, meaning the Patriots and the Steelers really only have to play one game of significance this entire season to get into the Super Bowl. That's the kind of scheduling that makes a genius out of Bill Belichick and a goat of Tom Brady, greatest of all time. It has been like this over the past decade or more in the AFC. I say that in maybe a little bit of dramatic hyperbole, but the fact is the depth of good to great teams has not been as numerous over the AFC as it has been in the NFC. The NFC today has the likes of 9-1 Philadelphia. 8-2 8-2 New Orleans, Minnesota's 8-2, plus the defending NFC champion 6-4 Atlanta Falcons. They are the best teams in the conference, and in the case of the Falcons, the cream is just now rising to the top. We're starting to find out if the Rams are for real. A loss at Minnesota this past week, they host the Saints who won eight in a row on Sunday. Plus, the Lions are rolling with the only true franchise quarterback left in the NFC North. Carolina's an ugly 7-3, and three if 7-3 if and three can be ugly, but their quarterback Cam Newton is now just rounding into form, the kind of form that made him an MVP only a, few, a couple of short seasons ago. Injuries have taken 6-4 and four Seattle down a notch, but as long as Russell Wilson is upright, they can beat anyone on any given Sunday. Hey, didn't we used to say something like that in Green Bay? Suspension and injuries have taken down Dallas, but suffice to say the NFC has many more good teams than does the AFC, and that's reflected in this week's Power Poll, as seven NFC clubs and just three AFC squads are in the top ten. Here's my Week 11 NFL Power Ratings. At number one, the Philadelphia Eagles, 9-1, impressive win over the Cowboys at Dallas Sunday night. The more you see of Carson Wentz, the more you realize this might be the face of the league at some point in time. He has been outstanding. By the way, the Eagles, uh, where were they last year this time? A year ago to the day, November 20th. They were 5-5 five and five and losing to the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle on way to a five-game losing streak, including a Monday night loss to the Packers that snapped Green Bay's four-game losing streak. The Eagles went on to a 7-9 campaign. What's my point? Well, the point is things change in a hurry, especially year-to-year in the NFL. Today, the Eagles have the best record in the league. Number two, New Orleans, 8-2. They played poor enough that they had to rally from 15 down in the fourth quarter and eventually beat the downtrodden Redskins in overtime, 34-31, in one of the few good games played in the NFL last weekend. Eight straight wins, as I mentioned, for the Saints, who started the season at 0-2. You know something? When you go on the road and you play bad and you still win, that makes you a pretty good team. Number three, New England Patriots are 8-2. Remember when the Pats were 2-2 and and couldn't stop anybody defensively? Well, the best coaching staff on the planet was not about to let that continue, so the Patriots have won six straight. 
Number four, Minnesota Vikings, eight and two. Vikings took a hit from the number one offense in the NFL on the opening drive of the game, and the Rams roared down and scored. And then the Vikings basically stuck it up their backside and the rest of the way in an impressive 24-7 victory. Number five, Pittsburgh Steelers. I really think they should be rated higher, okay? I'd put Pittsburgh today ahead of, of the um, New England Patriots. But by the time this went to press, uh, at any rate, Pittsburgh's 8-2 and two didn't play. They, they, you know, the one thing they do, they do play down to their competition. So when they play a, a bad team like Cleveland, they win by three or four points. Um, you know, uh, they, they throw, the, Ben Roethlisberger throws five interceptions in a home game and they get blasted by Jacksonville. But when a good team comes along, the Pittsburgh Steelers usually play to form. Well, last Thursday, the Titans, a first-place team out of the uh, AFC South, came to town, and the Steelers buried them 40-17, to as they should. Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, New England, um, they're, they're the best in the league. Detroit Lions are number six, six and four. The Lions almost got caught looking ahead to the Vikings Thanksgiving morning. They managed to beat the Bears in Chicago last week, 27-24, to in what we call a trap game. The Lions have already beaten the Vikings in Minneapolis. So this game coming up on Thursday is the game of the year in the NFC Norris. Number seven, Carolina Panthers, 7-3, coming off their bye week. They get the Jets in the Meadowlands on Sunday. Cam Newton rounding into MVP form, as I said earlier. Number eight, the L.A. Rams, 7-3. Rams found out in Minnesota what January football is going to be like. Good defense will usually beat good offense, even in this day and age of offensive-minded NFL football. The Rams have the number one scoring offense in the league, but manages seven points at Minnesota. Another test this week as the New Orleans Saints roll into the Coliseum. Number nine, Atlanta Falcons, five and four. Defending NFC champs, they're rounding into stretch run form. 34-31 victory in Seattle in a rematch of the divisional playoffs from last year. That was impressive. I, I, you know, that was really impressive. For the most part, the Falcons had that game in hand, and only... The miracle play of Russell Wilson could get the Seahawks back into it in the end. I still think the Falcons the best team in the NFC, but the Eagles have and probably will have home field advantage by the time we get to January. Number 10, our third AFC team in the top 10. The Jacksonville Jaguars are 7-3. and three. I know the record is great, the defense very good, but this team, as I mentioned, it's quarterback by Bortles. So, you know, you know they're going nowhere in January. You understand that. But these are nice numbers they're putting up defensively these days in the regular season. Number 11, Seattle Seahawks 6-3, and three, uh, six and 4 rather. Injuries mounting on that aging once great Seattle defense. Nothing forever in the NFL. Forever is next week's injury report in the NFL these days. Quarterback Russell Wilson, phenomenal, but that once great defense is no longer. Kansas City Chiefs are 6-4, and four, and remember the 5-0 and oh start they got off to? The Chiefs are 1-4 and four since, but still lead the AFC worst by two games over the Super Chargers, and as we used to say in Kansas City, the dreaded Raiders. Number 13, Tennessee Titans, 6-4. and four. Sad performance in Pittsburgh was an example of a young quarterback, Marcus Mariota, going through the ups and downs, the growing pains of development on the job in the NFL. Aren't we witnessing that in Green Bay today? Number 14, Dallas Cowboys, 5-5. Five and five. Without Zeke, without offensive left tackle Tyron Smith, without middle linebacker Sean Lee, that's a lot of without. The Cowboys are a mere shell of themselves and were drilled at home by the Eagles 37-9 Sunday night. Number 15, Baltimore Ravens 5-5. Five five. Shut out the Packers at Lambeau, but offense continues to be problematic. Still, they have a shot 
at the playoffs, facing another backup quarterback this week as the Texans come to town. In the AFC, 5-5 five and five puts you right in the thick of things. In the NFC, 5-5, five and five, and you might as well forget January. Number 16, Washington Redskins 4-6. and six. Gallant effort against the Red Hot Saints falls short in overtime after the Skins uh, blow a 15-point fourth-quarter lead. Number 17, Los Angeles Chargers, 4-6, and six, picked the right time to welcome the Bills to Los Angeles and then took advantage in a 54-24 romp. Number 18, Oakland Raiders, 4-6, and six, no match for the Pats in Mexico City. I've said it before, but it can be said again, we all overrated the Raiders. Number 19, Houston Texans at 4-6. and six. I think the Texans are down to their third-string quarterback. Didn't matter in a 31-21 victory over Arizona in a battle of backup quarterbacks as Tom Savage against Blaine Gabbard. Isn't that the problem in this league? We had too many backup quarterbacks playing with predictably bad results. Number 20, Cincinnati Bengals, 4-6. and six. Got it done at Denver, 20-17 over the plummeting Broncos. Even 4-6 and six is not out of the postseason picture in the AFC. And Tampa Bay Buccaneers are coming in at number 21, 4-6 on the season. Former Jets signal caller Ryan Fitzpatrick, another backup quarterback. He's everybody's favorite backup. Two wins in a row for Fitzpatrick and the Bucks. Number 22, Green Bay Packers, 5-5. Five five. After a promising couple of weeks against Baltimore, Brett Hundley threw three picks and lost a fumble, and the Packers were shut out at home for the first time since 2006. Sometimes... And I've talked about this in the past. The development of a young quarterback can be a tough watch. Their progress is never a straight line up. It's a jagged line of ups and downs. We saw the up in Chicago. We saw the down Sunday in Green Bay in a 20 to nothing loss to the Ravens. Where Hundley goes from here will say uh, everything about his and the Packers the rest of the season. Number 23, Buffalo Bills are 5-5. Five five. After a surprising 5-2 and two start, the Bills have been outscored at 135-55 to 55 the last three games. I mentioned how quickly things can change in the NFL. Forget about year-to-year. Year. How about week-to-week? Week? Number 24, Denver Broncos. Talk about change. They're 3-7. and seven. I think they won the Super Bowl like less than two years ago, something like that. It keeps getting worse for the Broncos who lose another at mile high. Suddenly, you know, they... What is wrong with this world? The Packers and the Broncos can't win at home? Number 25, Arizona Cardinals, 4-6, and six, lost the backup quarterback bowl to the Texans. Hey, I still think that's better than the Tax Slayer Bowl. You know what I mean? That some college is going to go to. Number 26, New York Jets, 4-6, and six, didn't lose last week only because they didn't play. Coming off a late season bye, they host Carolina this week. Number 27, Chicago Bears, 3-7. and seven. Losing close games in the division at home, that's no way for John Fox to keep his job. Number 28, Miami Dolphins are 4-6. and six. Hey, the Miami Hurricanes have taken the spotlight off the Dolphins in South Florida. And believe me, for the Miami Dolphins, that's a good thing. Number 29, New York Giants, 2-8. and eight. Got up off the mat and beat the Chiefs in overtime. Now, you've got to be kidding me. Some of you people bet money on NFL games? I mean, real money on NFL games? Are you kidding me? Number 30, Indianapolis Colts, 3-7. and seven, Didn't lose only because, well, they didn't play. Colts returned from a late season by to host Tennessee on Sunday. Uh, San Francisco, number 31 in the poll. The 49ers, 1-9. Like the Jets and Colts, didn't lose because they didn't play last week. You know, let me ask you this. We just mentioned about three or four really bad teams who didn't play last week. Why was the play last week so bad in the NFL? There were like two or three good games in the entire league the whole week. 
Uh, finally, last but not least, the Cleveland Browns 0-10. First team to 10 losses this year. Boy, they're going to be popping the champagne on the shores of Lake Erie. The only reason they were the first to 10 losses, the 49ers won two weeks ago, and they were off this past weekend. Uh, the Browns lost ugly to Jacksonville 19-7 to to keep the perfect season alive. Games to watch this weekend. Uh, there are only two games worth spending three-plus hours of your life watching this entire NFL weekend. Thanksgiving morning, the Vikings visit the Lions. The rest of the Turkey Day offerings from the NFL will give you massive indigestion. The, I mean, the kind of indigestion you only get from your Aunt Matilda's uh, pound cake at Christmas. The only game worth a look on Sunday is New Orleans at the L.A. Rams. You are listening to the Play-By-Play podcast, powered by your local Milwaukee area Chevy dealers. Hey, folks, don't forget the 2017 Chevy Closeout. It's going on right now. A great finish to a spectacular season with special closeout pricing on select Chevy models like the stylish and efficient 2017 Malibu or the dependable, powerful 2017 Silverado 1500 Crew Cab. Incredible deals, award-winning choices. That's why I drive Chevy, the official vehicle of the Green Bay Packers. See your local Chevy dealer and visit WisconsinDriveChevy.com. Well, Packers fans, I know there's a lot of lamenting going on about Brett Hundley and his four turnovers and three picks and a fumble or whatever it was. The 23 nothing shut out the hands of the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, we, we heard the boos at Lambeau Field on Sunday. There's no doubt about that. Mike McCarthy and his staff are staying with Hundley rather than switching to Joe Callahan, who as the backup is now the most popular quarterback, not named Aaron Rodgers in some circles. I understand that. A lot of the Packers fans are, are hoping McCarthy would put in the scrappy Callahan this week. Still others think they should make a trade and reacquire uh, Taysom Hill from the New Orleans Saints, the quarterback who stood out for the Packers this summer in training camp, but was picked up on waivers by the New Orleans Saints after the final cuts. Callahan looked good in the preseason uh, games two summers ago. McCarthy loves him. I'm Hey, what's not to love about this guy if you're a coach? Callahan's an overachiever, a gym rat. He'll do anything for the cause. He's everything you wanted a teammate. So was Scott Tolzien. There aren't many street-free agents that make it at quarterback in the NFL today. So you want to change. You want to give Callahan his shot. Can't be any worse, could it be? But take a look at the Buffalo Bills and Coach Sean McDermott, another Belichick uh, knockoff who's going to fail as a head coach. Take a look what McDermott has done with his team and how he screwed up the Buffalo situation. It wasn't that long ago. They were 5-2. and two. Now they've lost three in a row and are looking bad doing it. So last week, McDermott benches his veteran starter, Tyrod Taylor, for backup Nathan Peterman. Wasn't Peterman a character in... Um, Oh, gosh, Elaine's boyfriend in uh, Seinfeld, wasn't he? I thought so. I'm sure he was. Maybe I've got it wrong, but at any rate, you get my drift. Somebody named Nathan Peterman goes in at quarterback in San Diego. Peterman ended up with almost as many interceptions as completions in that game. Five picks, six completions, and the Bills got blown out. So be careful what you wish for. Yes, it can get worse. In a heartbeat. A change of quarterback doesn't often solve the problem. And understand, the maturation and development of any player in the NFL level, at the NFL level is often a jagged road of ups and downs. Give Brett Hundley some more time. We saw some good things in Chicago. We saw a regression last week against Baltimore. Where he goes from here will determine the flight of his career. Today on the Play-by-Play podcast, we continue our series on the legendary voices of the NFL. Voices you... 
You need only hear a word or two to know what team you're listening to. Their voices become synonymous with their teams over the years. They endure through one era after another. And for the fans of their teams, they provide familiarity and comfort in a business of constant change. And in this case, that's a good thing. This week, we visit with the incomparable Merrill Reese of the Philadelphia Eagles, the longest-tenured play-by-play announcer in the NFL. His distinct calls have been a staple of the Philly football scene for over four decades. And perhaps it's timely we have Merrill Reese with us today. The Eagles are number one again in our power poll. Reese is in his 41st season as the play-by-play announcer of the Philadelphia Eagles. He's authored two books, It's Good... And a few years back, he wrote a book on sportscasting called Sportscasting, Turning Your Passion into a Profession, a very popular book with aspiring young broadcasters looking to get started in the business. A year ago, he was inducted into the Eagles Hall of Fame while we were there with the Packers and on a Monday night in Lincoln Financial Field, which i got to tell you something, folks, was a personal highlight for me, watching an esteemed colleague like Merrill receive such a tremendous honor from his team. Merrill, thank you for taking time out with us on the Play-by-Play podcast. It's great to have you. It's great to be with you, Wayne. Uh, You are one of the best broadcasters in the country. And it's always an honor to be on the air with you. Well, you've been at this for 41 years, this NFL thing you've been doing. Uh, you know, can't you find something better to do with your Sunday afternoons, for God's <laughs> sakes? Absolutely not. You know me. Uh, it, it's 41 years, but it seems like about 10 years. Isn't it? And I, I love it and appreciate it more every single year. If you ever hear that I'm not there, it's because they removed me unwillingly with a crane because i will <laughs> i will keep this thing as long as i can breathe <laughs> I hear you merrill you're a temple grad so philly guy through and through and after your your um, um you know attended college you went into the navy you served our country and, and obviously we all thank you for your service but was that around the time of the wrap-up of the vietnam era yeah, it was. It was. And I was a Naval Public Affairs officer, so I didn't do anything dramatic. I didn't fly, fly any fighter planes or, or, or parachute into jungles. But I was a public affairs officer, and it was a very rewarding time in my life. And it was, a, it was an honor to serve. Now, how many years? Were you a four-year uh, service? A little less. A little less than four. Wow. I can't help but ask you this question, kind current to today. As a military person, even briefly... Uh, the anthem protests, what did that say to you? What, did, what was your thought on all of that? Well, it's not something that I like to see. Uh, it's, it's, but at the same time, I do understand that they are not protesting the military. Amen. They are not protesting the flag. Correct. They are protesting injustices that they see in society today. And, Wayne, I'm going to be really honest with you. I think if, if it had just been ignored just totally ignored it would have gone away very, very quickly. And uh, instead, once it was challenged, it started to grow. But uh, I I don't see it much anymore, to be honest with you. I've I've watched Eagles games the last month or so, and first of all, none of the Eagles have ever kneeled uh, or knelt, but uh, Malcolm Jenkins raises an arm to to say that there are some injustices that should be uh, rectified, and, and Chris Long puts his arm around Malcolm Jenkins' shoulder, and that's about it. And most of the games, I mean, the Dallas game, you didn't see anybody on either side 
uh, kneel in any or do anything disrespectful in any way. And in most of these games, there are a lot of patriotic ex- uh, exhibitions. Yeah, and, and I can't agree with you more, uh, Merrill. The message somewhere along the line was stolen from this, and it became a protest against the flag and against the military, and it, it has never been anything close to that. I've never heard an athlete uh, make any kind of remarks in that regard. Let's move yeah, absolutely on. absolutely right. Let's move on. Uh, you, when you left the, um, um, your service in the Navy, and, you know, I had an uncle who was a career Navy uh, commander uh, working um, uh, off the shores of Vietnam, in that era, but at any rate, Merrill, you you went into broadcasting, and and I read this story that you drove up uh, to WCOJ in Coatesville, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and there the the owner of the station listened to your audition and told you you weren't ready for such a big town as Coatesville. You go somewhere you smaller. Get, yeah, he said you have to start someplace small, and, and I'm thinking to myself, this is Coatesville. What else? <laughs> Can I find instead of I, I did find Pottstown, Pennsylvania, <laughs> where where they allowed me to do. I, I went in for an audition. I'm I'm out of the service by this point for over a year, and and that confidence I had by the end of my collegiate career as sports director of the Temple Station had totally dissipated. And I walked in and I I spoke with the station owner in Pottstown. It was a it was a, a two room station on top of a a five and dime. And he, he spoke with me, and he said, well, I said, I give you a chance to broadcast the game on Saturday, but you look like you'll have a nervous breakdown. And I said to him, you're, you're probably right. So I went home, and on Friday afternoon he called me, and he said, listen, uh, I, I want you to come up and do the game because I can find absolutely nobody else, and it's between you and dead air. So that. That was my big start, Wayne. You you were better than dead air. <laughs> I was better, slightly better than yeah, dead air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just can't. The Coatesville thing is so amazing. So so go go to a smaller market. Where does Merrill go? He ends up in Philadelphia. You know what I mean? My God, it's <laughs> that, amazing. That was it. That's amazing. But, you know, you started the start to your play-by-play career with the Eagles uh, was not only sudden, but it was tragic. Tell our audience that story. Oh, that, that is a story. I, I was one of 94 people to audition for the summer replacement job at WIP. And uh, the, the sportscaster was the, uh, his name was Charlie Swift. He was the play-by-play voice of the Eagles. He had done it for about 10 years. And he did the morning sports. And he took a month's vacation uh, every summer. And I had heard that they were looking for a summer replacement. I was working, meanwhile, at an FM station music station but i was doing news and i had begged them to let me come in i was doing news from noon to eight and i said to them uh how about some sports in the morning and they said well this is not a sports station i said no you don't understand i'll come in and i'll do the sports at six seven eight nine if and i and i don't want any money you don't have to pay me and they said you know what Sports might work in the morning. <laughs> so I, I went in, and I did the sports. I came in at 5, and I did the sports 6 through 9. And then I'd run home, and I would give tennis lessons. $7 a half hour, I'd teach tennis, and then come back and do the news in the afternoon from noon to 8. And uh, WIP invited me to come in for an audition. I was one of 94 people. Get, I kept getting called back and called back. Still didn't hear anything because this was in February. And in June, they called me in. And Charlie Swift saw me in the lobby. He said, come here, kid. Here's, here's where you'll do your sports. And he takes me into the studio. And 
I said, wait a minute. He said, uh, they didn't tell you? I said, no. He said, oh, you have the job. And <laughs> so I did. And the other station, my full-time job, I, I, was, I was prepared to give up my full-time job, Wayne, for one month on WIP. Wow. And uh, they said, no, you can, you can do it. So for one month, I got to WIP at 4 o'clock in the morning. I did the sports all morning, and I went back to WWDB and did the news from noon to 8. That was that was one month. And by the way, after the first day at WIP, they had hired me for the pre and the post game show, which I did for four years. Wow! And uh, I, I'm going to tell you an amazing story, uh, if if you have time. Yes. Okay. Uh, the the guy that I did the pre and post game show, the the coaches show with which they also hired me, was an Eagles coach by the name of Ed Kayat. I know you've heard the sure. name. He later. He later moved on. He was fired after that season and became the defensive line coach of the Detroit Lions. So fast forward four years later, I was still doing pre- and post-game shows, and with one game to go in the season, uh, the Lions came to town, and Ed Kayak called me, and he said, Hey, I'm, we're staying over at the Marriott. you want to have dinner? I said, Sure. So I met him, and we talked all about football, and he told me all about the Lions, and I'm thinking, what, what good is this going to do me? It's great because all I'm doing are pre- and post-game shows. I get up the next morning to go to the studio. I wasn't at the stadium, and the program director called me and said that the color man, a former player, was sick. Go to the stadium. You're doing color. So I did the color, and I had so much information about the Lions. It was amazing, and I got to use it. <laughs> a year later, the color man retired, and at that point, I got called in, and they hired me to do the, the color, which hardly ever is given to a, a broadcaster. That's a former football player's job. So I did the color that year, and with one game or two games to go in the 1977 season, I got a call in the middle of the night, and I was back doing sports on that FM station, and I thought it was the disc jockey calling to wake me up, and instead it was a, a guy by the name of Tim Early, and it was a friend of Charlie Swift's, and he said, Merrill, Charlie's dead. Uh, he had shot himself in the head. Oh, my God. And I went in, and I did an obituary on the air about Charlie, a real tribute. And when the switchboard opened, the phone rang, and it was the program director, Dean Tyler, who said, Merrill, you're doing the play-by-play Sunday. Go get a color man. And, Wayne, can you guess who I got? I have an idea, but tell our audience. Okay. It was a former great Green Bay Packer who was yeah. from Philadelphia and who I'd become friends with, and that was Herb Adderley. Wow. And Herb and I did the last two games of the 77 season. Herb could not have continued because he had taken a job on the Wayne Harden Temple football staff for the following year. But uh, about six months later, they hired me full-time as sports director of WIP and play-by-play voice of the Eagles. And They've been stuck with me ever since. And that's uh, that was back in 1977. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's amazing. And and Herb Adderley, he, you know, around here, Merrill, he is just when you think about cornerbacks in Green Bay, that's the guy you think of. Herb Adderley and Bob Jeter, uh, the corners of the Lombardi uh, defensive secondary, those five world championships they won in the 60s. Uh, wow, that must have been a thrill to work with him. I'll tell you what. Well, Herb and I had become friends because previously I had, when I was talking about the FM station, 
uh, the FM station was coupled in the same building with the rhythm and blues station, and Herb would come in and visit the disc jockeys, and we would chat between newscasts, and we became great friends. And then he came to me one day, and he said, I'm going to give you a story. I said, really? He said, yeah, I want to demand a trade. I want to leave the Packers because he, he was not happy playing for Phil Bengston. And he said, go ahead, announce it on your next sportscast. And the wire services picked it up and quoted me. Wow. And, of course, he was traded. He on, went on to the Dallas Cowboys. And won a Super Bowl there. His yeah. Career. Yep. yeah, won a Super Bowl there. Yeah. Hey, speaking and of... He, he actually, they actually had a banquet here for Herb when he was named to the Hall of Fame. And Herb had me as one of the speakers. Wow. That's a great honor. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. You called how many Super Bowls? At least two, right, for the Eagles? At, at least and only. Only two. Okay, <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought. Um, but the first one, wasn't Dick Vermeil the head coach at the time? Yes, he was. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me against a, the Oakland Raiders. Tell Super me a little bit. Uh, Dick Vermeil. I mean, was he as uplifting overall as he was in those you know NFL films things you see with him and the, the team together and that type of deal? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I still think he is the greatest coach I have ever been around. Wow. He was the most eloquent motivator that you could ever find uh he could he could make a team run through the wall onto a stadium he, he's just he was just amazing and uh his his charisma if you look i always say look in the dictionary under the word charisma and you will find a picture of dick Vermeil. wow he was he could grab you by the veins and he's still he's still a very influential figure here in the delaware valley there are billboards for Blue Cross with Dick Vermeil and there's Vermeil Wines and he's still he's still I just saw him last week he looks great and he's he's just a tremendous guy but I think he was the most dramatic coach I've ever been around. When I, I cro- crossed paths with his brother when I was uh, broadcasting Chicago Bulls games, his brother was a strength and conditioning coach and, and was working with the huh. then world champion Bulls at the time. Um, yeah, the Verme- and he was like a lot like Dick, and we used to talk about it. His enthusiasm and the things he got guys to do uh, in a team concept was really uh, that was amazing. It's what made them special. Very special. Yeah, absolutely. Merrill Reese, the voice of the Philadelphia Eagles, is our guest on the play-by-play podcast. Merrill, I, I know there are a plethora of calls you've got. Um, you know, the Super Bowl, obviously, the one that uh, we talked about with Dick Vermeule, they lost to the Raiders, if I'm not mistaken. And then mm-hmm. Andy Reid took a team with, what, Donovan McNabb and company. Um, yeah. Went down to and lost to the Patriots in a Super Bowl. Um, but your favorite call, this really got me. Uh, your favorite call, it, it happened to the Meadowlands. It was against the Giants. And, and tell us about it, because it, it may not be what some people are thinking. Uh, the- See, a lot of people think the original miracle of the Meadowlands, the Pazarchic fumble and the right. Herman Edwards uh, return with, with time running out, uh, that that was it. But it really wasn't. My favorite moment, and, and Wayne, I tend to think more in terms of of favorite moments or favorite plays rather than favorite calls. That's for other people to decide. But my favorite moment occurred on December 19th, 2010. And the Eagles were so bad in that game at the Meadowlands against the Giants that I, whatever the score was at halftime, I think I said something like, the Giants 21, the Eagles are still at the hotel. They were, <laughs> they were so bad. And Eli Manning had enough time to read War and Peace and then look downfield for a receiver. And the Eagles were just getting killed. And when they came out in the second half, 
and things started to happen. Michael Vick threw a pass to Brent Selleck, who turned it into a a 64-yard catch and run, and then they came down, and then they recovered an onside kick, and then they moved down again, and Michael Vick, on a quarterback draw, ran in for a touchdown, and he just he just totally took over that game. And the, the rally Giants fans started to quiet down, and then Vic got them going again and hit Jeremy Macklin inside the left pylon for a touchdown, and the game was tied with the extra point, and that place was as quiet as can be. And then the Eagles held the Giants one more time, and the Giants had to punt, and Matt Dodge went back to punt, and Deshaun Jackson looked up, and he muffed it. Yeah. And he picked it up, and then the Red Sea parted. And I can still <laughs> remember Jason Avant leveling somebody with a big block, and Deshaun went racing up the middle of the field, pirouetted and danced around at the one-yard line, and I'm screaming, get in, get in. And he did, and there were nothing but zeros on the clock. And that was the that was the equivalent of the two outs in the bottom of the ninth grand slam home run. It was an amazing, amazing moment. And I still say, Wayne, that that half, that one half, was the best thirty minutes of quarterbacking I have ever mm. seen. And it was Michael Vick. Wow! And that was the two thousand ten campaign. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge moment. I don't know if you realize this, and I know most Packers fans don't realize this. I talk about this all the time. I talk about that play when I visit with uh, you know groups, and, and we talk about the Super Bowl Packers of 2010. The Super Bowl mm-hmm. Packers of 2010 don't happen without that play that they had nothing to do with. But the fact is, you guys beat the Giants that afternoon. The Packers were on their way to a Sunday night game in the Meadowlands without Aaron Rodgers against the New England Patriots. They played them tooth and nail, lost the game, and but on that plane found out that, hey, listen, from the mathematical standpoint now, the Packers are going home. They're going to play the Giants and the Bears. If the Packers, are, they control their own destiny, win those two games, and they get into the tournament. And that's yep. what, exactly what happened. They tied the Giants at 10-6. and six. But they won the tiebreaker of the Giants because they hammered them on the penultimate week of that 2010 regular season. And then beat yeah, the and then, they, then they beat the Eagles. And then beat the Eagles. Yeah, in Philadelphia in a, in a wild ball game. But um, that without that play, without your miracle in the Meadowlands, the Green Bay Packers don't even make the playoffs with a 10-6 and six record. Don't That's even get amazing. that. And, and just amazing. I, I never realized that. Yeah. Well, That's the, amazing. Add that to your uh, you know, talk the next time. You know? Sure. Although sure. it doesn't come out well for the Eagles fans. A couple of weeks later, they, the uh, Packers did win that game in Philadelphia. You know what was interesting also about that season, Merrill, and I, I, I think you probably realize it, the Packers and Eagles met opening day in 2010 season. And, and this is 2010. The Packers uh-huh. had not won a game in Philadelphia since 1962, Vince Lombardi. Wow. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, so not only in 2010, not only did they have to win a game where they never win a game, they had to win two to get to that Super Bowl. So well, it was, and, and I'll amazing. tell you something else about that opening game of that season. The Eagles, for the first time, wore the replica 1960 yes. jerseys. The Kelly Green, that was number one. And number two, the Packers knocked out Kevin Cobb. Yep. And made Michael Vick the starting quarterback. And you know what? 
Vic played well that year. He played well that game. He played well oh. that year. And you guys maybe oh, don't was, make the playoffs amazing. without him, right? Oh, oh, Michael Vic was amazing. He really was. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Unbelievable. Yep. You know, hey, uh, Merrill, I want to ask you about a couple of other things. You, you sure. wrote You wrote a book called on uh, sportscasting called Turning Your Passion into a Career. Uh, you provided insight into how you ply your trade, that type of thing. Talk a little bit about that book, and I know it's still available. Oh, it is. It's called Sportscasting, Turning Your Passion into a Profession. And I, I don't know about you, Wayne, but at the end of the football season, and my, mine usually ends earlier than yours, there's a tremendous void in my life. I just, I just miss the hustle and bustle and the daily grind. And as you know, I am a managing partner of a radio station uh, on the outskirts of Philadelphia. Actually, it's a radio and television station now because we stream maybe 10 high school games on the Internet uh, per week. And you have, that, you have that void in your life. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to fill it one day, and I'm going to just sit here with a legal pad and, and talk about this profession and, and what you have to do and to, to learn the mechanics of the various sports. And, of course, I did the, I did the football chapter, and then in one of the, the most memorable two-hour sessions of my life, I called up and I had lunch with the late Harry Callis, yes. one of the great baseball broadcasters ever. And, of course, I ran the tape recorder and I spoke with Harry about broadcasting baseball. And um, Harry left us about two months after that conversation. It was so sad, but, but I had his words of wisdom uh, on tape. And then I, Beasley Reese, the former giant, was a great telecaster here in the city, and he did the part on TV sports. And I got the, the Flyers announcer and the Sixers announcer to do the basketball and hockey chapters. And then Dan Baker, who is the voice of Veterans Stadium, and uh, Citizens Bank Field did it on public relation uh, on the public address, and and the legendary Bill Campbell was one of the most masterful interviewers I've ever met, and he talked about interviewing, and I put this whole thing together, and I had a book, and uh, self published, but it it really sold well, and then this past year I updated it in that you know uh, Donovan McNabb became Carson Wentz. And, and so on down the line, but just, you know, with the names. But uh, it was a thrill to do that. It was, a, it was something that has been very well received. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great book, and I, you, gave, you were kind enough to give me a copy of it, and, and I still have it. Hey, when you broadcast a game, and you mentioned this, that even after 41 years now, you still get nervous before a game? Um, and talk a little bit about how you approach each game on game day. Well, I do. I, I, I do you? Are you? Are you as calm and collected as you always appear? Uh, no, I, it's churning inside. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. On the day of a game, on the day of a game, uh, I wake up that morning and I can feel it in the pit of my stomach. And it's it's not the nervousness for the team; it's the nervousness for me. The fact that I have all this stuff jammed in my head. Uh, my wife, Cindy, walks around with flashcards, and she's calling out numbers, and I'm trying to spit them back very, very quickly. And um, if we're home, she makes me a stack of pancakes, because once I get to a stadium, I can't look at food. And uh, I, I arrive at the stadium, I go down on the field, I do some pregame television for the CBS station, 
Uh, then I come back up to the booth. I do a hit on the pregame show. And then I, I study the field. And I, I do a little mental play-by-play to myself as the players are in yeah. the passing drills. Mm-hmm. I watch the kickers. I, I chart their distances, check out the wind. Um, don't talk a lot to Mike Quick about the game because I want that to be fresh when we go on the air. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I actually, I actually write an open uh, because I don't want to hunt and peck once we go on the air. So I'll write about a paragraph so I can come on strong and, 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 and very, very definite about something. And I'll tell Mike what the opening is so he'll, he'll be prepared with a quick comeback. And then from there, I have pages of notes. And it's always been my theory, over-prepare and under-deliver. With all the things that I've noted to look for, if I use 40% of them in the course of the game, that's a lot. And, and I never try to force-feed information that I have just because I have it. Yeah. So I, I have notes. I, I write out my clothes so that I can do the sponsor IDs and the stuff like that and, uh, and, and, and go to work. And the second... Our producer, Joe McPeak, cues me. All of that nervousness goes away. I feel as if I am absolutely floating. There is no place in the world I would ever want to be. There's nothing in the world I would rather be doing, and I just love every second of it. Love it a little more when they win, and, yeah. uh, and, and it's, it's just a great, great career. You're listening to the Play-by-Play podcast powered by Chevy. Our guest today is the incomparable voice of the Philadelphia Eagles, Merrill Reese. Merrill, before we get out of here, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about today's Eagles. Um, Doug Peterson, a great guy. We know him well in Wisconsin. He backed up Brett Favre for many years. Carson Wentz, I, I think, is going to be the face of the NFL within about three years. But today's Eagles, have they surprised you in any way? Yeah, they have. I thought they were going to be a very good team. Uh, people thought I was being overly optimistic going into the season because I, I announced uh, quite, quite enthusiastically that I thought the Eagles had a playoff team. But I said, I think this team is going to have a shot at the division, and I think they're about a 10-6 and six team. But they're, they're an improved team, and I think 10-6 and six will, will give them a shot at the playoffs. And I said that I thought within... Five within the next three years, Carson Wentz would be a top five quarterback. And I said, there's one other thing about this season you have to realize: four of the first six games are on the road. So if they can go three and three <laughs> after those first six games, I think they're in pretty good shape. Well, here we are, and they're 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 nine and one. Yeah, I I, I did not expect that, but but Carson is the real thing. And the biggest compliment we can give Carson Wentz is to say that he has some of the qualities of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, interesting. And, you know, that quarterback position, it's so key. Um, But I also think he's got a great head coach in in Doug Peterson who knows the quarterback position and knows. He really does. Yeah, from a a guy who's had to study it. And and he came from a a great tree. Andy Reid has done a great job. He's another one of my favorite coaches. But Doug, Doug is, and a lot of people were critical of the choice when Doug Peterson was hired. He wasn't a glamour name. He didn't have the, the resume that people would have liked to have seen. But he came in here, and he, 
he has less ego than any head coach I've been around. I mean, he really is a is a down to earth guy, and he communicates well with the players. Now, don't get me wrong; he they call him a players coach, but nobody can walk over Doug Peterson, and he can be strong, and he can be uh, he can be absolutely energetic and authoritative when he has to be. But but he's a heck of a guy. His play calling has been exceptional. His handling of the clock, all the things that a coach does, the ability to know when to challenge a play and when not to. And But the best thing of all is his communication ability. He communicates to his players, and they really want to win for him. Yeah. Boy, I tell you what, Jim Schwartz has done an excellent job with that oh, uh, defense. Great. And, um, you know, I, I tell you what, they make a good team. And, uh, you know, I, hey, a year ago this time, Merrill, as you well know, you're sitting there 5-5 five and five on the way to losing five in a row, including a game to the Packers on a Monday night that turned the Packers season around. Oh, uh, my but, uh, how that, ruined, that ruined my Hall of Fame night. Yeah, that, and I, that's the next <laughs> thing I needed to ask you about. You were uh, honored uh, by entering into the Eagles Hall of Fame. They, they brought you into the Hall of Fame. We happened to be there that night. I just wanted to tell you, I know how big a night it was for you, but it was big for me, too, to see a, an esteemed colleague honored like that. What a tremendous honor for a broadcaster to get. Well, it, it really was great, and it, it meant so much to me, Wayne. But uh, it's the, the, the greatest honor of all is to have that seat in the broadcast booth, looking down, describing the play-by-play of every single game. That's that's the great honor that they they still let me do this, and I I plan to do it for a long time. I just there's nothing, as I said, I'd rather be doing or no place I'd rather be. Although although I would like to have a ring like you that actually says that they won the thing, <laughs> not that they were runner up, not that they. I'm tired of NFC Championship. I have two of those rings. I want one that says they actually won a Super Bowl. But every time somebody says. I hope you get this. This is what you need to make your career complete. It's not me. It's I want them to win this because these fans are great. They have been through so many losing seasons. They have been through they have been through so many outrageous fortunes and, and pains and slings and arrows of outrageous fortunes. <laughs> they've suffered and they've been here in bad weather and good weather and losing streaks and games that slipped away. But they're always there. People call them the boo birds. They're, they're tough fans. Yeah, they boo. They boo because they care so much. So I want the, the Super Bowl for these fans here in Philadelphia. Yeah, well, you know what? You may be getting it sooner than you think, my friend. Things change quickly in the NFL, and they've changed for the yeah. better in Philadelphia. Yeah, but you know what, Wayne? We're, we've been around, and we, we're realists. And my wife said to me, I've got to go buy plane tickets from Minnesota because otherwise I won't get them, because they'll, they'll be all gone. And I said, all right, you go buy them, take some insurance on them, but there are so many things that can happen. Yeah. There are six regular season games remaining. Get the wrong guy injured, and you know who that is, uh-huh. and, and all bets are off. Yeah. And a lot of things can happen in the playoffs. I mean, they're playing the Bears this week, 3-7 and seven team, but you know what? It's the NFL, and that, that old tired cliche about on any given Sunday, it's real. Yeah. It happens. No, it I is. Mean, I saw the Saints need a miracle to beat the terrible Redskins at the Superdome last week. Yeah. So nothing is a given. They're in great shape. They're playing well. All the pieces seem to be moving in the right direction. They've got the coaching staff. 
They've got the balance in the offense. They've got the defense, the special teams. But it's not over until they actually raise the raise the, uh, the, the ring and say, you're heading to the Super Bowl. You're heading to Minnesota, and that's, that's a long way off right now. Yeah, absolutely. Merrill, thank you so much. You're an NFL treasure. Thank you for taking the time. It's wonderful to have met you years ago uh, in Salisbury, Maryland, at the uh, um, Sportscasters. Salisbury, North Carolina. Yeah, North Salisbury, Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. At uh, the uh, Sportscasters yeah. Award uh, uh, thing, that you were the Sportscaster of the Year in Pennsylvania. I was in Illinois, and um, it was great. It's great to know you over the years. You're the dean of our broadcasters in the NFL, and thank you for honoring us with your presence today. Listen, Wayne, there is nobody more talented and, and, and enthusiastic, and the Packers fans are, are so lucky to have you as their voice. So it's, it, it's a mutual admiration society, believe me. All the best, Merrill. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. That'll do it for this episode of the Play-By-Play powered by Chevy. Coming up on Friday, our preview of the Packers and Steelers, plus Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year Tom Oates, columnist for the Wisconsin State Journal. He'll be our guest, and we'll touch on all things sports in Wisconsin with Tom. If you'd like to get a hold of me, drop me an email at wayne.larathy at packersradio.com. That's all lowercase. Or hit me up on Twitter at Wayne Larravee. Special thanks to our producers Dan Schenick and Jay Sorgi. We are wishing all of you, all of us on the Play-By-Play, the best for the holiday season for this Thanksgiving week. You've been listening to the Play-By-Play podcast with Wayne Larravee, powered by your Milwaukee area Chevy dealers. Chevrolet, proud to be the official vehicle of the Green Bay Packers. Visit WisconsinDriveChevy.com today to find a dealer near you.